I think at the end of the day, risk quantification is not very sexy, I understand, but we tie ourselves in knots in security, you know, doing this sort of interpretive dance for the board of red, yellow, green, and here's what it means, and bibbidi boo. And the businesses don't run on interpretive dance, they run on dollars. And until we can come to the table like grownups with the rest of the grownups running our function and saying, here's the risk in dollars, here's the investment in dollars, here's the risk mitigation we're going to realize in dollars, that's the key, right? We have to be able to talk the language of business to be successful as and be taken seriously as business partners. Welcome to Code to Cloud. I'm your host, Tim Chase, Global Field CISO at Lacework. Today on the show, I'm speaking with Amplitude's acting head of security, Terry O'Daniel. Amplitude is a product analytics platform that helps businesses track visitors with the help of collaborative and analytics. Terry joined the company in October of 2022 as head of GRC. And prior to Amplitude, he led GRC within infrastructure engineering at Instacart. Terry, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much, Tim. Thanks for having me here. Now let's get right into it. We're going to start with a hot take. When you talk about DevSecOps, you have referred to it as the failed promise of DevSecOps. What do you mean by the failed <laughs> promise of DevSecOps? Thank you for asking such a fun, pointed question up front, Tim. My challenge here is that, you know, I, I come from an ops background myself. I've been an operational engineer and worked in production engineering teams at Center for a long time. I think one of the biggest challenges we have in the general move towards shifting left, which is theoretically what DevSecOps should be about, is I see a lot of nodding heads aligning on the shared goal, and that's good. What I don't see a lot is actually turning the mechanics of integrated testing at every step of the SDLC and shared goals. I think those are two of the elements of DevSecOps that perhaps because teams at companies in the, the, in the growing markets, early public companies, even startups, maybe that's something that, that isn't seen, they haven't seen the value unlocked there. But I think that's one of the big challenges is if we say DevSecOps inherently means catching problems earlier, correcting them faster, and not having security show up at the 11th hour and saying, hold on, don't release that, there's some issues. I think we haven't necessarily done the work. And the work involves getting those shared goals, getting that alignment from the top, from engineering leadership all the way down, getting the space on roadmaps to actually prioritize building out these patterns that we want to implement. And then, and then doing the tough work of saying, there's a tax. There's a tax that's required in actually moving left. Shifting left involves having smaller pieces and smaller interruptions more frequently, in, in the worst case, rather than having a single show-stopping event at the end. And that's where I say, in most of the companies I've worked at over the past seven years or so, I haven't seen DevSecOps materialize into that model that actually gave a measurable outcome for the distance. So that's where I start when I say something that's perhaps a little spicy, like the overall industry trend of DevSecOps hasn't been realized across most of the smaller SaaS companies that really have the opportunity to make an investment and see the outcome. At a high level, like, why do you think that is? Like, I, I agree with you. I talk to a lot of customers and a lot of prospects and it's kind of the same way. I still hear we're in the process of moving to DevOps. Everybody is there. I mean, the larger organizations, definitely, they're in a forever transformation, I feel like. But the ones that are the most successful probably are the smaller ones that maybe are more cloud native mm -hmm. and they start that way. But, you know, 
if they started one way in waterfall or agile or whatever they happen to be, and then they're moving to DevOps, right? Like, why is it really hard to make that transition? Do you think it's like one particular thing or is it a combination of everything you just said? Like, well, I, I think let's start with the place of alignment, right? We agreed that the industry sees the value in this. We agreed that the industry understands that shifting left is the ideal. I don't think anyone's standing up and saying, hold on, shift left is the wrong pattern. So that's the good piece, right? We fostered that agreement. And over the past decade or so, I do think the culture within security has changed. Maybe one factor that has also worked in our favor is, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, if you said the modern CISO should be aligned with engineering. The modern CISO should be an engineer by training. The vast bulk of the modern CISO's work is technical work. We, we don't have to have that argument. I think the industry has sort of moved in that direction for us. And maybe that buys us a lot of credibility in the movement towards DevSecOps. So why hasn't it worked? Then to, I would answer the question by saying, a lot of it comes down to shared goals right? At the best of times, it is very difficult to get dev teams to put goals around security on their, their roadmap, right? It is seen where I think we still treat security as a necessary evil, a tax that has to be paid, and devs are somewhat rewarded for, you know, staying under the radar when it comes to security, as opposed to what we really need is we really need them to be shifting left with us. We need them to drive us to shift left. So, I would say on one hand, every time security does pull the emergency brake and say, hold on, there's a problem. It happens. It happens. But that's a huge learning opportunity, right? And I don't know that we do enough RCA looking in the mirror and saying, all right, that was really ugly to catch that at the 11th hour. What can we do to catch it at the 10th hour next time and, and just build a roadmap for the, the process over time? So I think that's some of it. I also think there's a, well, there's a natural tension right? In, in software engineering between speed and quality. And I think some of it comes down to folks' background, their experiences, what they've seen successful at various companies. At Amplitude, we have a very clear direction from the top. The top all the way down, we understand that one of the best predictors of software quality and the improvement of software overall for a SaaS company like us is the speed of releases. If we can release fast, that's, that's the core of Agile, right? If we can release fast, we can get customer feedback fast and we can build that feedback loop. And I think the challenge is at a certain point that emphasis on speed appears to be in conflict with the desire for quality, which is what I would call a, a software engineering function driving towards. One, one of the reasons I'm at Amplitude is I really love the alignment in vision and practice in our engineering function. By that, I mean, we're not saying we're going to accomplish one thing and then really in practice doing another. We're very upfront about the, that we, uh, on the speed to quality spectrum, we align on the side of speed. And that's a cultural value and we're going to go all in on it. So my job as the head of security is to constantly be there to pull us a little bit towards the quality piece and to build the patterns so that the customers of those quality improvements are the engineers themselves. If I'm only building quality into the product to satisfy myself, it's not going to go very far. I have to put on the hat of the customer and say, for our largest customers, how can I ensure that they are meeting the security requirements that will enable them to continue to use Amplitude, to start to use Amplitude, et cetera. So that's, that's a very amplitude answer, but I'd say that that's one way I'm solving the problem, is aligning really tightly 
with my engineering counterparts and focusing a little less on what I want them to do and a little more on why I'm asking them to do it. I think one of the reasons sometimes that we're not so quality when you do DevOps and such like that is we forget that part of DevOps has continuous improvement at the end, right? That's why they have this infinite loop, but it's not just you write the code, deploy it, write the code, deploy it, right? There's this little thing on the end that says, hey, come back, see what you did wrong and fix it so you don't do it again. I think we forget that part sometimes. I talk a lot about that, about DevOps. I mean, do you agree or have a different opinion? I do. I do. And I think that's honestly one of the areas, you know, having worked in, in prod engine infrastructure and now security for a long time, I would say that's one area that infra and platform, especially does a really good job, right? You just have to, you have to build that muscle of constant postmortems, constant RCAs, constant cycle of improvement, because otherwise you, you don't know, you don't know where you should invest. Devs will tell you. <laughs> DevXP is a very clear way to hear from your internal customers. This is broken. Those scans take too long, whatever. So yeah, I think that's part of it. And I would, I would even go a step further. I'd say sometimes where we lack the most in security and in, in the way we approach security engineering is around transparency and empathy. It pains us sometimes in security to see the risks, to see the vulnerabilities, to, to see the potential for exploit. And we, you know, it keeps us up at night. But we don't always do the best job of empathizing with our dev counterparts and the speed, how much they are under a vertical product-oriented, business-oriented timeline. And they don't have the same flexibility that we do to change some of those timelines, right? Sure, we can yeah. show up and say, hey, there's a zero day, stop everything and do this. Well, we only have so many times we can use that excuse. And I think a lot of the times where we could be investing better is to have that transparency and the empathy and understanding from our engineering counterparts. When was the last time you had a security team go ask dev, hey, what are the biggest risks? Or do we sort of precede that and do we come to the table with that already filled out and we tell all devs, here are the biggest risks at the company, therefore we need you to do XYZ. I think we missed an opportunity by doing that. Yeah, I'm a big fan of, of us being like advisors and auditors rather than you know doers and pushers. I think when you get to a really good kind of DevSecOps flow, that's what it ends up being is it's more collaborative because we're allowing them to do more of the work. It integrates with their workflow. We're there to set the guardrails and to help them and advise them when they, maybe they don't know how to fix something. Ultimately, you know, that's what we're there for. We talked about goals a few times, but I want to really kind of double down on that a little bit because I think that's very important. Sometimes when we start talking about goals, and we, we get into DevSecOps, we think of goals along the lines of vulnerability reduction or, you know, fewer security defects, right? Those kind of goals. But ultimately, like, that's not what we just talked about. That's not what I heard you say. What I heard was more along the lines of goals to the business. Like, that's where the DevOps teams are focused. That's it. So security can go along with their focus and figure out how to meet their timeframes or work with them. That seems to be where you're talking about goals, not like security goals. I think so, because I think security goals are around risk, right? Security goals have to be about the, the measurement and management of risk over time. But Amplitude is not in the business of measuring and managing risk over time. <laughs> Amplitude has a product that it is trying to build and sell to customers. And I think it is easy in security to lose sight of that. And it's easy to lose a sense of driving towards business objectives. 
you know, we talked a little bit earlier about how I spent some time in the, in the trenches of governance risk and compliance. The one thing I, I really learned from that was how much we have the opportunity to align with business objectives. And the more you align with business objectives, the less you're ice skating uphill, chasing after people trying to say, hey, we need to move in this direction. If there's a, a strong center of gravity, Amplitude wants to move in this direction because it meets our product roadmap and it'll unlock these kind of expanded deals with these kind of customers. That is a much easier conversation to have about how to align rather than chasing after folks saying, hey, get those secrets out of code. Hey, close those volumes with an SLA. It's just a different conversation. And I think it, it's, it sets security at a, a more strategic level to have those conversations. And if you can't have those conversations, you haven't unlocked the value yet. You haven't proven that you can be a strategic partner, that you empathize with the relentless product, you know, ship it, delivery cycle and things like that. So I would say it's not, while it is perhaps a spicy take, I would also say it, it behooves us to look in the mirror about why we're here. Spicy take number two, we're uh, up here. The other thing that I think Platoon is doing that you mentioned is the leadership. This is an area that I don't think people understand enough is that you can't just have an engineering leader say, we're going DevOps and then they're off to the races, right? Like that's not the way that it works. And I think, I think you know that, right? The way that I look at is agile is the methodology that you work within to do the testing of the development, right? But overall, the framework is the DevOps. So you can use agile inside of DevOps, but DevOps is a transformation that requires leadership change from the very top, right? I mean, agree? I do. You know, I was, I remember I was at, at Yahoo in uh, 2015, 2016, when sort of DevOps was becoming a thing. And it was fascinating to see the reaction. I, I worked in production engineering, which is you know, kind of the ops of DevOps. And yeah. it was fascinating to see the reactions internally and as we hired in new people, right? There's a way that you can, I think if you summarize the value proposition of DevOps, if you do it well, it's almost hard to say no. It, it, it's like one of those things like, we should put out the fire. It's hard to get anyone to disagree with that. The fire's burning. We got to do something about it. So I, it takes me back to, well, it's been 15 years. What happened? I wonder sometimes if you're right, right? Is it around the leadership conundrum? Because have we created this artificial contentious relationship between engineering and security. I'll, I'll be transparent in sharing that, you know, when I, when I joined Amplitude, I think there was a little bit of a pattern that had developed or, or an anti-pattern where devs realized if they flew under the radar and they just kind of shipped quickly and didn't draw the, the watchful eye of security, then even if they had a problem, they could just fail forward and they could patch it. It's like, how painful do we make it for devs to get involved with quality improvements? Do we make it easy? Do we make it something that they can start and stop in, in five or 15 minute chunks? Or do we make it a big, big overblown project that makes it painful and then makes it feel like they aren't actually working on the job they were hired to do? I, I think we've erred a little on the side of the first one, right? And I don't know if we've actually built the, the patterns that tell dev here's the value that you're going to unlock. And sometimes it's as simple as that. Sometimes it's appealing to common interest. Would you rather invest 20 hours to build a better intake mechanism here? Or would you rather spend 200 hours over the next quarter or two responding to these individually? 
I think together, if we decide on a pattern, we could build that funnel and we could reduce the amount. We could build risk patterns natively into those systems. I mean, I have to stop myself. I almost started talking about change management, right? One of the interesting pieces about change management that I don't think I've ever been in an organization where engineering doesn't say, not every change has to be reviewed, mm -hmm. right? Which I mean, change? Not, just the ones that don't affect, you know, right, right, right. Right. Say, okay, cool. Awesome. No, no, you're right. There, there are minor changes and they shouldn't have to be approved at all. Can you show me the canonical source of truth and the engine that enforces that behavior? Oh, it doesn't exist. Then yes, every change has to be approved because we haven't done the work. We haven't, and I mean us included, security included, we haven't sat down at the table shoulder to shoulder and locked the door and said, you know what, if we come up with a rubric that actually aligns on these we have the same goals. We want the company to be safe and secure. We want our customers to be delighted and happy and not have a, a blank screen or something like that. If we're all sitting on the same side of the table and we keep that objective in sight, then it just comes down to a list and priorities and, and a regular practice of grooming that backlog. And those are engineering patterns. We know how to do those. Yep. That's spot on. I like it. And that's actually a good segue into kind of where I wanted to go next. So your background is kind of an engineering, right? Yeah. That's historically where you, where you come from. And I'd love to know kind of how you got from engineering into security. How did that go? I, I always like to know how other people got there so that other people can learn how to do the cybersecurity journey. So engineering to, to security. I had the good fortune to be in San Francisco just as the dot-com boom was happening. And I, I had the technical background and I started working for a lot of small startups. And, you know, startups at that point weren't, you know, you got to pay your AWS bill and, and you can just get started. This was like, you know, we, we got to wire this warehouse <laughs> before we can actually have people working here. We got to build our data center, et cetera. I think coming from a very operational place where I wouldn't have thought to call myself a security person in the first half of my career, or at least the first third, because it sure felt like engineering, ops, IT even, things like that. But I always considered that security was an essential component of those. I would never have considered delivering something and saying, that's someone else's job to secure this thing. It's all part of the mix, right? Sure. So for me, the fascinating piece for me is I was moving on that path and I was doing a lot of security auditing. I was doing audits for the, the state of California on their data centers and networking and things like that, because I have a background as a network engineer. And a VP of engineering I'd worked for in the past said, hey, you should, you should come check out this, this compliance work that's starting. There's a new security standard called Sarbanes-Oxley, and we need to help companies get compliant with it. And that was a big lie. Sarbanes-Oxley has nothing to do with security. But what I found is, gave me an opportunity to talk to the half of the business that I really didn't understand, which was the business, the non-technical half of the business. And I had the opportunity to help some very large financial organizations get compliant in the first couple of years of SOX. And it told me a lot about how even at the largest you know, financial services, banks, et cetera, the understanding of risk and how it applies to technology was sorely lacking. The understanding of risk got to a certain point and the understanding of technology got to a certain point. And I found that there was really this gap in the middle. So I, I worked in Yahoo at production engineering and a senior director who kind of mentored me a little bit had a background in quality engineering. And he was getting hammered by these various requests from our security team at Yahoo. And, and he was feeling overwhelmed. And I said, well, I don't know any of this stuff, but I have a background in security. So, so let me take a look. And I realized quickly that it was the same problem, right? 
engineering had goals and we had metrics by which those, those goals would be evaluated. And we had certain numbers we had to hit and nowhere in there was anything about risks, anything about compliance, anything about securing the company. And so I took that on and I took that, I said, you know what, let me just, let me just own all these intakes from those other teams and, and manage them. And I very quickly found out they care about the same things that we do. They care about access to privileged resources. They care about privilege escalation. They care about, I mean, we, we, at the time, you know, Docker was just sort of spawning. So we cared about securing those containers and making sure that people could do lateral movement, although we didn't call it lateral movement at the time. And I think that was really the genesis for my starting to think less of myself as purely an engineer or specifically an ops engineer or infra engineer. And I started to think of myself as doing security work. And then as I went to Salesforce, as they grew, I was at Salesforce during a period of immense growth where they were just doubling their user base every year. I had to create the second line of defense in a sustainable way. We couldn't be everywhere. We had to build patterns and we had to be able to hand them to a growing organization in a way that those patterns could be almost hologrammatic and they would grow as those orgs grew. The first actual security job I had reporting into a security team was just a couple of years ago. It was reporting into security at Netflix. And I learned so much that gave words to the feelings I'd always had about how I like to approach security. And I really enjoyed the thoughtful leadership and, and the great security engineers I met at Netflix because they all understood the truth. Devs don't report to us. They have their own leaders and they have their own goals. But what we can do, we don't control engineering, but we can give them the context. We can help them understand the context for making better risk-aware decisions. And honestly, that's been my hope ever since. And, and now I have the opportunity. I, I led security for a year and a half at Instacart. And now I have the opportunity to lead security here at Amplitude. And I think if I do nothing else other than foster that conversation and help the company make risk-aware decisions and document that we did so, I feel good about the journey. You have an interesting kind of side. You've done the GRC stuff. You've done the engineering stuff. Kind of understand both. One of the questions that I like to ask, and this, this is a hot take, but like, do you think it's more effective for a CISO to come from a GRC background or an engineering background? You know, if you asked me that a few years ago, I probably would have been maybe out of self-interest more than anything else because I had just rolled off several GRC engagements and I'd seen how much that perspective and discipline was missing in security organizations. But I'll be frank, I think the speed of technology is, is not slowing down. And I think there's only so much I can lean on my GRC background that will take me to the solution. I guess I look at it this way. If I wasn't an engineer and if I didn't have, you know, 25 plus years of engineering hands-on background, I don't know that that GRC overlay by itself would be enough. I think it has to be the combination. So, I, if, if, you know, if you were a CTO hiring a CISO for your org, I think if you're a SaaS company, I think your CISO has to be technical. I think at the core, your CISO is not only protecting your people and your work systems and your SDLC, they also are inherently predicting and protecting the risk of your product and that B2B relationship. So I think it, I think traditional industries still can get a, a huge degree of value out of hiring a CISO who comes from a strong risk and governance background. But if you're an engineering first company that's building neat stuff, 
if your CISO doesn't have the finger on the pulse of that, I think they're inherently a little hampered from their ability to help the company shift left. No, I agree. Especially, and it, like I said, you know, there are exceptions to everything, but, you know, especially like when you're coming up with kind of your overall security plan and understanding how everything should fit together. Things are so technological these days, you know, how, how can you understand kind of the overlap of, to making sure that you're covered in all the different security areas? If you don't have that understanding, you know, risk will only get you so far. GRC is super important because all the privacy stuff coming up in countries and states and things like that. But that's my opinion. Somebody else could come on and have another one. Like I said, it was, there's no, there's no right or wrong to it. Right. And I would say, it's just, just to take that a step further, right? I, I'm not here to, to pick a fight between compliance and security. I think there's a lot of, you know, sort of bad blood between compliance and security. Again, I think that's a case where both sides could use a little time looking in the mirror. I don't know that GRC has done the best job of, you know, understanding security enough. I mean... If you're going to ask me questions about how I'm hardening Kubernetes, then, you know, spend an hour looking at YouTube videos of how to harden Kubernetes so we can speak the same language. So I think that's fair. But then on the flip side, GRC does a great job of taking big, big unmanageable projects and just throwing their arms around the whole thing and saying, we're going to slice and dice this and get it done until it's done. And that. Sometimes I think in security, you know, we get distracted, shiny object, ooh, Terraform or, you know, something, and we don't have that same focus. So I think both are, are really essential in any, especially for SaaS, especially for certain industries, right? B2B, fintech, health tech, things like that. You have to understand the why and the, the business goals, which are risk and compliance and governance. But if you don't understand the underlying technology, then you're just playing a game of telephone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think it's a super interesting perspective on it. You know, just to kind of get back onto your career and your learning a little bit, like if you were to look back kind of on all of your years that you've been doing engineering and then eventually security, what do you think has been the biggest learning of your career? Because this feels odd to say out loud as, a, as an engineer, but it, it's really been about the human element, right? I can own up to the fact that I was pretty arrogant when I was younger. And I thought that if we just focus a little more on the technology and we, we erred on the side of picking the best technical solutions and we focused on, on good implementations, then everything else sort of takes care of itself. And I have found that over the past few years, if I'm not hiring good, strong security engineers who can do that, then that's a problem. But if I am hiring good, strong security engineers, then I think more and more of my job has become to be the leader they need to help unlock their value. And by that, I mean, it can be very frustrating to be in a security role, especially if you're a security engineer, right? And you, you know how to build things. And I'm, I'm incredibly fortunate that all of my security engineers at Amplitude come from development. They all have backgrounds as engineers and they came over to the dark side of security. So I'm incredibly fortunate because we can, we can speak sort of a shorthand in doing so, but that doesn't take away my responsibility. And my responsibility is to enable them to succeed, to unlock the understanding of how much value they can provide to the company. And sometimes that means making introductions. Sometimes that means setting them up for success by thawing the atmosphere with other leaders, maybe because of past negative experiences. But at the end of the day, for me, it's about servant leadership. And it's really about helping my team succeed and helping through coaching, through setting them up for success, 
through making sure they're working on the right things that align to their goals and, and uh, abilities. That more than anything else has really been the, the focus o- over the past few years for me. As, as I move more and more into security leadership, I think the, the conversations with the board, the conversations with the C-suite, those, those are my responsibility and, and I take those very seriously. But if I don't have the foundation of having built a safe, high trust, high transparency environment, then I don't know that any of the other stuff will necessarily work out. So for me, I, I guess I've become a little less arrogant. I've become a little more focused on the people rather than the technology. I'm still an engineer at heart and I love, I love cool tech, but that's not going to help me be successful. What's going to help me be successful is unlocking the value of a security team that knows how to talk with engineers and sit side by side and align with them and, and solve problems together and come back to the well and say, I need help in this area. And if I do that, then I think, frankly, the rest should take care of itself. No, that's a great way of looking at it. I've always had that perspective. You know, the more leadership roles that I've taken on is like, it's about building those relationships. It's talking to the people over on the, the Windows teams or the infrastructure or the legal side of the house, right? Like, I always felt like our job as leaders is to build those because that's how when you, <laughs> when you need something done, like go over there and they're going to listen to you, right? But if you're constantly like, you know, fighting everybody, like it's never going to happen. Right? And so I've even told my, my teams, you know, look, you got a problem with something outside of our team. Come and talk to me first. Let me fight the battle for you and I'll figure it out. I don't need you out there fighting this battle with somebody, frustrating them, frustrating yourself. Like, let me use my relationships to help you to maintain, you know, security as the, as the enabler. Yeah. I think having either joined a company twice now that is, was either preparing to go public or has just gone public and is trying to figure out how to unlock the next level of security maturity. Yeah. I, I am a huge believer in the fact that we, we have to give people the tools to, to really be successful. And if I'm not growing leaders, then what am I doing? I, I might as well be hiring contractors. Right. Yeah. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm hiring these people and I take the responsibility very seriously that they should be, they should feel just insanely successful. And if they're not, then, then that's on me. And I'm not, I'm not helping them unlock their value in a way that I should be. Well, kind of getting to that, so just to kind of wrap up and, and finish up with a, one last question before we do some rapid fire stuff. Like, what advice do you have to somebody wanting to get into the security industry and wanting to kind of uh, make that breakthrough? Yeah. I would, I think I have two answers. I think if you want to get into security, it, it's a passion project. I think most of us are in security for the long term, not because we're chasing, you know, a, a big compensation or something like that. I think it's because we just can't leave well enough alone. <laughs> we see a risk and we just, it, it just itches us. It itches us in our soul and we have to do something about it. So I would say first and foremost, if you're getting into security because you think it's a, a hot market, strongly encourage you to do some ride-alongs, to to see the actual burden. Most of us who are in security after a few years are here because we can't not be. <laughs> so I would say make sure that your passion is really there. And if your passion's there, then I strongly encourage people to find a role that gives you breadth early on. Don't hyper-specialize, right? It, it's very easy for us to hyper-specialize in security and more than I mean, sure, engineering teams talk about what languages do you know and are you used to front-end or back-end or stuff like that. But man, we paint ourselves in this little corner in security by saying, you know, oh, well, I, I started out as a, a pen tester and then I was a red teamer and now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay in this avenue. And, 
I don't care. <laughs> what I want is I want you to help me secure the company. So I think focus less on being an expert in a certain area, unless you really want you found your passion and that's all you ever want to do. I know some folks who are amazing at the security research space or IR or whatever. They just don't have a desire to work on the other parts. Great. Good for you. But one of the best things you can do early on in a security career is get a breadth of exposure and understand all of the flavors and, and the ways that the business actually applies. What you read in your textbooks or, or studying for your CISSP exam, how that actually happens in the modern enterprise. That'll give you a lot of visibility into the pieces that you want to work on. Because again, it's not just about the technology. It's about the combination of the technology and what are you going to be doing every day? You wake up, you turn on your computer. What is your day like? The day of an AppSec person and the duties of that role may be very different from the type of work you think you want to do. So get that breadth, get an understanding of how security actually works in the real world. And that'll give you better understanding and you can make the choices to specialize that makes total sense. I try and get people to get away from like the cool factor. So like what you were saying at the very beginning, like take a ride before you commit, right? Because I get people that are like, I want to be a hacker. How do I get to be a hacker? I'm like, like do you just, it's not like the movies, right? Like you can't just, I can't teach you to be a hacker. Like you've got to have like six other skills to even get started down that path, right? So start someplace else and then, and then figure what? it out. That's hilarious. That reminds me of my youth. I, I mean, it's funny, I, you know, I didn't go to university for computer engineering or anything like that. I actually was an arts major. But um, I think when I was 13 or so, I had my own computer and I, I couldn't get a program to work. And I just started thinking to myself, well, it got to be another way to get this to work. And I mean, that's where it starts, right? You, you, I don't know if you can teach someone to be a hacker so much as you, you help people who have that fundamental mindset. You help them find success. You help them apply those yes. skills in the real world. No, you're exactly right. They, they're already like, you know, in, into Python. And we're like, well, I can just script that. I can <laughs> yep. do something. And then they kind of take it to the next step. You're, you're spot on. All right. Here's some rapid fire questions for you as right. we, as we kind of wrap up. What is one tool that you can't live without? Vulnerability management. It pains me to say, but vulnerability <laughs> management is as painful as all the tools are in this space. Ultimately, one of the cores of my job is getting a signal, too much of a signal, trying to filter out the noise and then getting people to take action. I think at the end of the day, risk quantification is not very sexy, I understand, but we tie ourselves in knots in security, you know, doing this sort of interpretive dance for the board of red, yellow, green, and here's what it means, and bibbidi-boo. And the businesses don't run on interpretive dance, they run on dollars. And until we can come to the table like grown-ups with the rest of the grown-ups running our function and saying, here's the risk in dollars, here's the investment in dollars, here's the risk mitigation we're going to realize in dollars. That's the key, right? We have to be able to talk the language of business to be successful as and be taken seriously as business partners. So I love it. All right. That does it for us today. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review and keep an eye out for the next episode of Code to Cloud coming soon to your podcast player of choice. This podcast is brought to you by Lacework, the leading data-driven cloud-native application protection platform. Lacework is trusted by nearly a thousand global innovators to secure the cloud from build to run. Lacework delivers true end-to-end -end protection, empowering customers to prioritize risks, find known and unknown threats faster, achieve continuous cloud compliance, and work smarter, not harder, all from one unified platform. 
Learn more at lacework.com.